Everyday Design, the podcast that looks at how design impacts your everyday life. I am urbanist Rachel Fisher. And I am designer Abigail Hall. Hello, Abigail Hall. Well, hello, urbanist Rachel Fisher. <laughs> um, I'm in a jolly mood today. Excellent. What have you been up to this month? Well, I've been turning left. Turning left, you say? I have. Um, and I'm sounding really quite cheerful over something that started off as actually something really sombre. On Friday, I went to... Um, the Latimer Road Estate, because it's been two years since the tragedy at Grenfell. And there's a silent walk. This walk happens monthly, apparently, and I hadn't heard about it. They did um, a particularly large one because it was a two-year anniversary. And I thought, yes, it is part of my community, I would say. It's extended. If I walk Mm. to the end of my road, I can see uh, the the Grenfell Tower covered in hoarding as it is at the moment. And it's, it's a very simple principle. We set off and effectively we turned left. Yeah. Four times and you end up back in the same place. And I was thinking, that is, that's your community. Your community is, turn out of your house, turn left, keep turning left, and what do you see? You, you sort s- of make the block. Yeah, you make the block it, as much as you can in London. Right. Not always completely square. And what got me about it is you start off in the Latimer Estate, which is beautiful, by the way. Um, it, incredibly tidy, lots and lots of green trees. The community, absolutely fantastic. I mean... It was obviously a big community event. And you transition onto the Portobello Road, very vibrant, and then turn under the A40 and go onto this, these huge Victorian mansions. Interesting. And I, Mansion blocks are like mansion houses. Houses. So they yeah. were terraced, but they were uh, they were villas, right, double-fronted, okay. um, lots of gratuitous house porn. And I did say to my friend who I did it with, I feel a bit guilty because we're doing a silent walk reflecting on the tragedy. You were is. talking during a silent walk. No, I was, I was quietly making these reflections to myself and then afterwards <laughs> right. downloaded it Excellent. to her. Um, and it really, yeah, it got me thinking about the diversity and how often we just do a little route to where we live, to the little shops, and how much do we really know? About the people that live really, really near you. Yeah. I think that's something Theresa May reflected on uh, when at, after, immediately after the event of the Grenfell Tower mm-hmm. fire. Um, and in the house talking about the tragedy, she talked about how near it was to Parliament and yet how far away it felt. Yes. Um, which, which I found very difficult because I feel like if you are living in a city, you should be part of the. You should par- be part of and understand the whole, like the whole community. Yes. You will of course, out of necessity, probably have you know your local friends, but like genuinely, you need to be aware that there are different people living around you, and that's part of the point of living in a city is to be ex- is is to be exposed and introduced to people that aren't just like you and we should engage with the things that are so close to us so for example i have very close to me the masbro community center it is oh, admittedly it's, i have to turn right to get there but we're not going to be so militant that we won't allow that <laughs> this Only is not left. about that exactly um have this I is ever, a non-political podcast have i ever been there no uh, but actually it's part of my community so one of the things that I've found since I've had the twins is that I've actually become much more engaged with my community in a, in a really different way. So um, I now go to things like community centres, which I never would have before. And I remember in my 20s thinking, well, 
community like why does the community have to be where you live can't a community be a community of interest or you know i i am international so like my community is also the people that i that i know from from the states but the longer i've lived in the same neighborhood and i've been in this neighborhood since 2001 the more i'm convinced that actually the very local community is incredibly important in terms of just feeling grounded and rooted and understanding um, and, and understanding your place better and how it functions and how it works. Yes. And I, I'm afraid my example probably isn't as, as genuine and loving as yours of going to <laughs> lovely community centres. Mm. But even if I sit outside my local pub, especially if I have my dog with me, yes. I start conversations with people. And the first thing is, do you live around here? Oh, yes, yes, I'm just X road over. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I'm Y. And you suddenly, okay, you're my neighbour. I can get to talk to you. Yeah, and I might see you on the street and I might say hello. And I remembered that actually I don't have to be fearful of the world around me, which sometimes we can be. Absolutely. So, yeah, turn left, people. Turn left. left. See what's around you. So, um, this month, uh, I went to, oh, I went to kind of a little slice of heaven. Oh, Tell me. So we must go there and we must talk about this more. But I went to a place called Persephone Books on Lamb's Conduit Street um, in Camden. Well, Lower Camden, so just north of uh, Theobald's Road, right around Theobald's Road. So Lamb's Conduit Street is this bizarre little street in um, kind of Bloomsbury, really. Okay. Um, And it's got everything on it it's got hipster clothing stores with you know tweeds it's got a wine bar it's got two wine bars sadly my favorite third wine bar has subsequently closed down genuinely tragically it's got the people's supermarket which um it was a kind of community-run supermarket and it's got persephone books persephone books was started by a woman who came into a small inheritance sounds like the beginning of a jane austen novel Because it is. So she comes into this small inheritance and she decides that with this inheritance, what she wants to do is republish the mid-century works of female authors. How phenomenal. It's amazing. I am basically in love with this shop. And I am in love with the books that you buy there because they are all beautiful. So first of all, they are beautifully made. They all come in this very plain grey dust jacket. Every single one with the same font. But the end papers are all mid-century prints. And if you buy the book, you get a free end paper bookmark that matches your book. And we have to put pictures on Instagram and Twitter of this because this is... This is stunning. I didn't realise when you said publish... I thought you meant, okay, get the, get the rights no. to and sell. No, she's, she's, she's done pub- it. She is a publisher. And so I went there with a colleague of mine who very early on when she started working in my team, we somehow bonded over a love of the concept of Persephone books. Yes. She had never been to the shop. Um, I had. Um, anyway, so we decided to have a little excursion. So we went to Persephone books rather than just have a boring one-to-one. We decided to go to Persephone books and then have tea. Can you manage me? (laughs) Um, And so I went and we had both agreed that when we go there, we were only going to buy the one book. Because, oh, and that's the other thing that's amazing about the pricing. Every book is £13. Fab. Doesn't matter what you're buying. Every book is £13. I I just, I love everything about it. Apparently on Thursdays, you can go there. I don't know. On Thursdays, you can go there and they have Madeira cake. (gasps) Anyway, next sadly we went on a Friday. It was tragic. But anyway, so I so I walked in and I picked up 
the first book that I saw, and you should never pick up the first book that you see unless it was this book. So I picked up this book and I, it's called Consider the Years by Virginia Graham. And it's a collected book of poetry. And the poems were written um, through, through, through the Second World War. And the first page I opened up to, page 29, To My Cat, Wellington. Wellington, these are solemn times in which we live, a fact of which you seem to be acutely unaware. I love it. And I just thought, I love this book. And I spent, and we spent probably 20 minutes in the bookshop and I looked at all of the other books and I couldn't, I just, I wanted to buy the book with Wellington in it. So I, so I bought this book. For 13 pounds. For 13 pounds. And I also got the free bookmark as well. Um, and as I was reading it, um, I was reading the introduction because the introduction is quite, quite interesting and reflecting on what does it mean to be female poetry and what does it mean, you know, as opposed to male poetry and, and particularly, I think, when we talk about war poems, we often think about Wilfred Owen or Ooh, you know, the poets of yes. the First World War. Anyway, um, as I was reading through the introduction, they pointed out a poem called The Bridge uh, in St. James Park, which was written in 1943, which obviously is, is some of the darkest, darkest yes. years of the war, um, particularly in Britain. And the opening line, you cannot find comfort in ducks. Just... And, and St. James Park and the bridge in St. James Park, I walk through St. James Park regularly on my way into the office. If the Jubilee line isn't working, I'll just cut through, down from Green Park down through to Westminster. And I always stop on the bridge in St. James Park. I love the view. I love that I can see, you know, Buckingham Palace yeah, on one side, sight. the uh, London Eye, the war rooms, and, you yeah. know, and it's just this amazing peaceful place in the middle of a really intense part of town and it reminded me of one of the things that I love most about London is you know the, the surfeit of parks that we have and how very very lucky we are to have this and it's just it's a funny little poem and I, I will uh, put it on the in the show notes but it's a funny poem about how well it reminded me of my other favorite poem which is the piece of wild things um, which is about reflecting on how wild animals and wild creatures don't know the troubles of the human spirit and don't have existential sort of existential angst they just they exist in the world and irrespective of what's going on around them these creatures exist and this poem does exactly the same thing about the ducks in St. James Park who despite the fact that London is completely ravaged by the blitz at this point they're just kind of looking to you know dunk in the water get a bit of bread from and a pass of eye exactly and it's just it's this really lovely bit of perspective and i was reflecting on it because our theme this month is thinking about water and this kind of river lake in the middle of saint james park is something that i kind of walk through and experience quite regularly so anyway that's what i've been doing this month i've been reading poetry i'm gonna say also you said never buy the first book you pick up but if this is judging a book by its cover you can't tell a lot from its cover that's what's lovely about having this grey matte this completely and the font is just lovely I mean just everything everything about this shop and everything about the work that they are doing is just beautiful and it just makes you think they're nice people and nice things what a lovely shout out as well for that I just love them I hope everyone who listens to this if you have an opportunity please go I will yes and actually there was recently an article in the New York Times about Persephone books so I'll link to that as well Brilliant. Mm. Well, you know, you and the New York Times. Yeah. Um, now, what about your... Uh, my good design, bad design is not going to be as uh, considered, <laughs> I'm afraid. Excellent. As a wartime poem mm. by a phenomenal woman. Um, it's, I, don't, I literally can't segue into it, so no. I'm just going to say it. Just say it. it. Um, faux grass. Love it. Yes. 
Didn't think I would. Yes. I've come to love it. Yes. And and this is the bind. I know that when we <laughs> have this conversation, you've, you've drawn a conclusion as to which side you're sitting on good design, bad design. Uh-huh. So we're going to have to be open to the, the negative sides. Should we start with those? So I have some. Well done. They are... Oh, it, so grass, real grass... Yes. ...is cool to the foot in the summer because of the way in which plants work. Yes. Right? Water. Water. Evaporation. Whereas my... So full disclosure, I have rather nice fake grass in the back garden, which most people, until they actually step foot on it, don't realize it's fake. And we did this because the twins were, and the cat, I'm looking at you, Mr. Cat. The twins and the cat were tracking so much mud through the house that I just couldn't keep on top of it. And so in the end, we're, you know, the London is largely built on clay. The garden didn't drain. This wasn't working. I needed a solution, which was practical plastic grass however it gets exceptionally hot in the summer because it just absorbs heat and it's just not great for that however less mud and that's and there, no maintenance you've got you've got exactly to the bind of it the reason it has become the highest growth outdoor product last year yes and i'm I mean, I've worked with Easy Grass. There are other uh, manufacturers available. I, I have Easy Grass. There you go. Um, is because what you have just described is everyone's experience, whether your house is a large manor yeah. or you have a little patch yeah. and you just want to be able to get outside. Well, particularly if you have a little patch, what you don't want to have to do is then store a bloody lawnmower. Yes. So uh, the, the convenience, no one can argue the convenience of it. Um, my my downside of it, mm. there is the fact that it's we are more plastic. Maybe if we, maybe if we just ban plastic, huh? hmm. maybe we just ban plastic. Yeah, get over problems that way. Um, I also right now this time of year, as I was on the way to yours, I was, the trees are in bloom. There's flowers everywhere. Everything is just vibrant and green. Yeah. And I love this time of year. We all do. And we've talked about the impact of plant and even the yeah. impact of the colour green. However, when you get into autumn, when you get into winter, it's actually unnatural to see that level of vibrancy. True. And I find it slightly jarring. Oh, yeah. When you have a massive snowfall, but your lawn is perfect. A little bit odd. But that's visual. So I have to accept that that's perhaps slightly shallow that I'm thinking yeah. that as a negative. Um, another negative it is absolutely the, the heat. Yeah. And you do have to brush it. You have to maintain it. You do. It is not zero maintenance. Yes, and I think some people don't realise that. Yeah. Um, when it's installed, you should have it installed properly. I think there oh, is a gosh. bit of an expectation that you can just buy it and roll it out as if it's a no. rug from Ikea. No. Exactly so. Um, it's not cheap either. So having lain both a completely... So, so having put down a, a, a wholly new turf lawn... And having put down easy grass, I can honestly say I wouldn't say it's so. I wouldn't say it's that different. I was thinking more that you can grow grass from seed, so comparing those oh, two, okay. and and thinking about the large areas of yeah, it. Yeah. Um. What I've concluded though, because I've really wrestled with it, and I've wrestled with it for the same. I've gone through the same thought process, but I haven't got to a conclusion yet. So I ha- also have an outdoor space. Mine is north facing mm. shaded mm. doesn't drain 
and I have a dog and a cat. So I have no choice of seeding something. It would just be in oh, my no, bar. No. Um, I, can't, I can have turf, but even that while it settles in, the dog will tear it up. Yes. Yeah. People and animals are very much creatures of habit. Yeah. And you always transition onto the lawn in the same location. You can force people with steps or whatnot, but you still end up in... in Desire lines. Desire lines, exactly. Desire lines. Other podcasts are available that we've done that talk about that. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, what about the other options? Have we just defaulted to something? And I've been looking at this. There are other options. Sedum. That, yes, sedum, not hardy, mm. is difficult. Yeah. Grows well, can grow well in shaded areas, Good, can grow kind of well. Carpet. Yeah, a very nice foot feel. Mm. And you can have it with um, lovely smells as yeah. well. Um, and the other one, and I feel like this might be my next business venture, mm. moss. Well, for a north-facing. Exactly. Yeah. So many people spend so much time trying to get moss out of their lawns. Uh, and the no. moss survives. Love the moss. Lean into the moss. So I no maintenance. cannot get moss to grow. So I so in the back of the garden where the lilac tree is, it's sounding like a very big garden, it's really not. Um, but in the back of the garden where the lilac tree is, I can get nothing to grow there. I can maybe get some bulbs. But I can't get moss to grow. I've tried. Can't get moss to grow, and I can't get ferns to grow. All the things they say for north facing. I wonder if the ground is polluted or something. Probably that is kind of the dustbin of of Victorian England is back there. But I mean, listeners, if you if you have recommendations for north facing under lilac tree, you see under firs often it's so dry. Yeah. Nothing, and the no, fir, exactly. the pines, and the, yeah. just. Uh, yeah, nothing. No, so anyway. I'm actually so I'm still on the fence of this. I I feel like moss. It, I like it. I like the idea of moss. I don't think it's hardy enough for I a dog. Worry, I was gonna say I, I would worry about the dog. Yeah, I don't think. But so I want I want there to be a balance. The other thing that I would say, and I think you've got it right in your garden, the way that you use anything faux is you style it with something that's real. Mm. So you have got the most beautiful mature borders, the lilac tree at the end. So actually, as a casual observer out of a window, so not standing and looking just at the grass particularly you get the overall aesthetic yeah it's when you have just that square of isolated brutalist plastic (gasps) grass and by the way i did this on a roof terrace where basically that's what you had yes we had some planters but everything just died um and that is oh it's soulless it's jarring yeah it really is Mm. so um, um, and discussion i must say i'm airing towards the good and Easy Grass have really gone out of their way to try and find different fibres of different lengths there's to create an, different effects. There's an amazing array of, you know, would you like it to look slightly unkempt? Yes. And they call it Chelsea Kensington. Yeah, I went for a medium kempt. I can't remember which one that was, yes. but yeah. And they do a dog-friendly one as well. They do. Which is all about the undermatting and the build-up yeah. that there is. And also what they do is they dig out quite deeply and they put down a gravel layer, a sand layer, and then... Proper drainage. Proper yeah, drainage. And yeah. proper drainage. Because the whole point of why we had to do this was was the was the lack of drainage. Yes. And that comes back to the cost side of things. It's not a small yeah. exercise. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. Amazing. I still, have, I still just have large sandstone pavers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you don't know if it's good or bad design yet. I've, I'm still... Uh, to be to continued. be continued. What about yours? So I'm gonna say something very controversial. Well, sorry, more controversial than is fake grass good? Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was out there on this podcast. I'm about to say something akin to I don't love IKEA anymore. Oh my god, I'm ready. Go on, Pharaoh and Ball. You love it. 
but only in the right times and in the right place. There is a time to not use Vero and Bar. I can't believe it. Now, I am someone who 100% of my house is Vero and Bar because I love the colours, we love the depth of the colours, we love all of these things. So, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, we recently redid the hall and stairs in our house and we switched to a different colour of paint. Very similar, but just slightly different. So, those of you keeping score at home, the hall and stairs are now savage ground. And because that one of the reasons we were repainting the hall and stairs was that the twins keep putting chocolatey handprints mm. on the walls. And Patrick was sort of endlessly going around with touch-up paint, touch-up paint, touch-up paint. And what we've discovered is that... So, so, so we decided that rather than go for estate emulsion, which is the super flat, chalky paint, which is what Farron Ball's known for, and they do exceptionally well, and I will stand by this. Yeah, love it. Love it. Good design. They're modern emulsion. Bad design. Tell me why. So when you touch up modern emulsion, the sheen is wrong. So I can see every single touch-up in my Holland stairs because... If you touch in, as they call it, um, the, the sheen is... It's almost like if you had like two pieces of velvet and one grain was going the wrong way. That's what I was going to say, the nap of it. The nap of it is yes. wrong. And I cannot figure out a way around this. I emailed Pharaoh and Ball to say, uh, help. What the and they basically were like, yeah, we don't really recommend touching in. It's like, what the frick is the point of this? You have made a product which is specifically for hard wearing areas and I can't touch up is it that the application by the builders decorators Ugh. was by roller and you're doing it by brush so well you may ask that Abigail but we were one to use a small roller yes to touch in still same issue same problem so it's 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 infuri- so I I am personally infuriated by this I have these tiny patches I have now had a conversation with my husband in which we maybe try to wipe the wall down first first um but yeah no it's just it's inf- it's infuriating why would you create a product that is for hard wearing areas that you can't touch up it just makes no sense to me i'm quite surprised by that and i'd like to and I- also i would say sorry i would also say that despite the fact that all of my experience of customer service at and ball over the last 10 years has been excellent this was not well, I think, I think out of fairness, we can reach out to them and ask this exact question and show their answer. So yeah. see what they say. Yeah. So, uh, but if the answer is don't touch up, I think that... Well, that is the answer. I would say then the product isn't really suitable right. for the average home. No. I don't have two four-year-olds with chocolatey hands, yet I need to touch up my walls. You have a dog. I have a dog. I have me. A swipey dog. I have a, I have a handbag that accidentally <laughs> hits the wall. You know. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so 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 yeah, modern emulsion, bad design. That's a pity. It and is. such from a company that we've championed for such good design. Exactly. And would you go to a different finish, do you think? Is that so that, possibly an answer? That is possibly an answer. It's I mean, a big it's a, job. It is, you can't just so redo it. So it's a big it. job and I'm not going to redo it. But it is it is certainly something that I will consider the next time we do have to redo this big job. I'm not convinced that I will use Farron Ball again mm. for that job. I'd be very interested to know if there was anyone who's developing a completely invisible surface finish that you could put on it. Funny story. PVA glue. My friend has um, has a small child who's about eight or something, and they brought home like one of those like uh, books of 
of, of pink colors. Yes. You know, one of those ones yeah, that comes yeah. comes on a swivel. I know. And they said you can have any color you want, which I think is incredibly brave. I would. It I is. mean, yeah. I'd be willing to give them the car the the Farron ball chart and say any of these. But anyway, and he basically spends hours thinking about this and comes back and he says, "I want this one," and it was the clear cover, and he wanted clear walls. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I mean, not so much for privacy. No, no. He's going to be living in a glass box in the future. A modernist at heart, really. I love it. <laughs> oh, how sweet. Do you even know how they had to say, like, no, darling. No, darling. No, darling. No, darling. You spent a long time on that, huh? Yeah. Oh, bless He it. did. It was really sad. Where's they went it? with white. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Um, but talking about clear things. Yes. Like water. Water. What? See, you know how to segue. Amazing. Amazing segue. Um, what when you think about water in mm. design, what's what's the first image that comes to your mind? Is it your your lake pond in St James's or um, so so if I'm thinking about it as an urbanist, yes. my first thought is the fact that so many cities are based around water. Yes. So um, rivers provide kind of the original transportation mechanism across yep. large land masses. And so you get people settling around rivers, around freshwater. There's so little freshwater um, on the surface of the earth. And so people can't naturally congregate around the freshwater. So my first thought is rivers. Um, and then in design, designed rivers, I think it probably is thinking about uh, the, the artificial lakes, the Capability Brown yes. really championed. And so in, in that kind of garden design, which again is very much, you know, humans have a very special relationship with water. We yeah. need water to survive. It's um, one of the elements. It, well, indeed. Chinese historically uh, were so much better at understanding it. A capability Brown understood it. Absolutely. We just didn't have the language for it in the same way. No. See, I my first thought is much more about, um, it's much more engineered and structured. And two things jumped to me. So I, I first of all started thinking historically. Yeah. So my reference was, right, okay, what am I thinking? Two. One, Whitley Court, ginormous house in um, North Worcestershire. Loved it. Went as a child. It was burnt out. It was a terrible fire. It was owned by a family who were um, coal miners, Midland. Yeah. Very rich family. Had huge furnaces in their basement to heat said ginormous house. And surprise, surprise, burnt the house down. Oh, dear. But before it was burnt down, it went under... A, a, a phenomenal restoration and part of it was they had these ginormous fountains made in its grounds oh, of which the engineering feat that went on to have these fountains have a 30 foot um, <gasps> spray oh, amazing. jet yeah, which yeah. apparently sounded like a locomotive when it was on <laughs> they rerouted a river oh dammed it created an underwater tunnel system oh, to create the gravity fed pressure to allow this 30 foot um, jet of water and I, I I love I love that element of engineering just for a fountain in your garden oh my god I mean not why? just in a garden right I'll, I'll put pictures online of, of when these taken oh my god but why because you can because you can I know because you have the orangery and you have the ballroom and your house what is to been, get for the your, man who has everything your house um, is done in the Italianate style obviously and the Prince of Wales comes to stay and shoots on your estate so why the hell don't you have I learned a term the other day about these great houses oh yeah the prodigal houses oh, do you know about this know. So the prodigal houses were the houses that were basically built to entertain 
the royal court as they travel around. Oh, yeah. This was later. Yeah, because yeah. Because this was kind of Edwardian, really, when it was the peak of its yeah, that... stuff. But it wasn't exactly... You entertain the court, yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Love it. Mm. Um, and I also thought about um, the Palace of Versailles. Mm. They have got a... Again, did the same thing. Um, dammed a river to have feeding to feed the palace because that was all marshland yeah that, that was built on so they had to drain the entire thing all of these feats of engineering and the the water features that i've done in kind of public realm spaces there's been a feat of engineering it's not been the same i've never dammed a river <laughs> you know if anyone's listening from the environment agency that's not on me but we have got huge plant rooms with pumps you have to consider legionnaire's disease because oh, gosh, it's yeah. waterborne all sorts of stuff um, so you see even if you see a small you know kind of meter wide runs for a couple of meters not that inspiring yeah, it's yeah. like a bath that's overflowing <laughs> the amount of engineering that will have gone into that the yeah. disproportionate cost but that goes to show how important water is because it does tie together a space but i so um Last summer, and this summer has just been rubbish. I mean, it's been hilarious. We thought about doing water as our theme. Because and we I, thought we were going to be so hot. We thought we were going to be so hot. It's been ridiculous. It's been raining kind of nonstop. Well, there's and been water. There's been the water. It's just been coming out of the sky. So last summer, when it was not horrific, um, we spent quite a lot of time. We went to the parks at uh, the, the fountains at Leicester Square. Mm. And the twins went absolutely mental. And we had we were not prepared. We... We didn't go to Leicester Square thinking we were going to do the fountains, but we couldn't drag them away. Like, we tried to drag them away, and then Margot was so upset, she literally cried until she threw up oh my in my God. hand. Because yeah, I caught it, and I was like, what? why have I done this? I don't know. I don't know. It's disgusting. No, 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 no. Anyway, so... So we did that, and then but then we went prepared. We went to the fountains at Granary Square and King's Cross, which are just phenomenal and they're properly designed for children to run around in in the summer one flush surface is just great and it changes doesn't it 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 changes and then you've also got like weirdly you've got like a baby fountain so like yeah yeah so on the right so as you're facing the royal college of art on the right hand side the fountains are little little fountains for little people and then the next one over like has the big spurts yes no music though no it's really loud anyway. In Bordeaux, they mm. have right along the river. Yeah. Another city built on a river. Absolutely. There you go. It's like, there's something in that. Oh, yeah. Um, they have, similar to Granary Square, but they have music playing. And it really Fun. makes it... It's, it's all kids and teenagers. It's a really cool place to hang out. I mean, literally yeah, cool, yeah, cool because of all the water. <sighs> and a really funky place. And before, it was just a bit of dead space between yeah. the road and the... And the river. You can really animate a space using using fountains. Yeah. But do I only notice it because on those hot days I gravitate towards it? So I feel like I only use... So, I I mean, as a grown-up, I've never actually used them. Well, that's what we have to do. We've got to do it. Go run around a fountain. Yeah. That's July, sort of. Get your bikini on. <laughs> bikini, in my case. You know, don't scare the locals. Oh, God. No. Just um, made friends with my neighbours and then go scare <laughs> them really with awful. all the white flesh. <laughs> Oh, I saw the most brilliant cartoon, it? and it was a, a picture of a woman and a guy saying to her, "Like I really, I really like that white stripe across the centre of your swimming costume." And she went, "I'm wearing a bikini." <laughs> and I was like, "That is me." Yep, I was like, so pale. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is also how fountains now. I'm afraid it continuing along the line of engineering. You enjoy a fountain. I do enjoy a fountain. Clearly, never thought about it that much. Um, have become uh, a tourist destination. 
in Vegas. Oh, I'm yeah. sure there are others. You have the fountains at Bellagio. Now they are to music. Listen. And lights. It's naff. I know it's naff. But I must admit, after a couple of um, glasses of bubbly and high on like a ten dollar wing, <laughs> you on a, you know, bucks. I know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I must admit, when Andrea Bocelli, time to say goodbye, came on to water, I might have shed a tear, <laughs> or it might have been the spray of the fountain on my I'm face. Gonna, I'm I gonna couldn't hope tell that it was the spray of the fountain. It, it wasn't. No. Okay. I went inside and, and asked when they were showing it again. I liked it so much. I was young. Don't judge me. Anyway, so on from that, um, how do we incorporate water on a, on a more micro level? So in our own homes. So I, so when we redid, when we moved into the house and the uh, garden was g- feral, uh, yes. it yes. took us about six months to discover that we actually had a frog pond in the middle of the garden. And it was like, oh my God, we apparently are the breeding grounds for the entire population of frogs of North London, which was quite a lot of frogs and so when we came to redo the garden finally um in order to just have have a usable space i wanted to maintain a pond in the garden preferably with a fountain because i like the sound like the sound of water i think like the sound of being next to a fire the sound of water is incredibly restful that white noise exactly yes um so we relocated the pond from the middle of the garden down to the bottom of the garden um and we did not follow the advice of the pond installation people. And we thought, oh, no, it'll be fine. It's a small pond. We'll just get an all-in-one pump filter thing. It has died. Mm. The pond is now stagnant. And also now we have children, so we have a pond cover, which just looks horrific. And we're genuinely... But it is a necessity. That it absolutely is a necessity. Reality, yeah. um, but now we're genuinely thinking we're going to close it in. Because the pond cover has basically just detracted from the frogs coming and using it as a breeding ground. Um, and I'm sort of like, well, what is the point? There are leeches in it. Really? How they get in, how they got into a completely man-made pond, uh, birds presumably, but like seriously. And did your, so you had the pump, did the little, the movement of the water, which is what you need to stop it stagnating. Yeah. Was it just insufficient for the volume of it? Hard did you to not say. have plants that aerate? You just don't know. I had all those things. Hard to just say what happened. So right now you basically just have a cesspit at the end of the garden. I do, yeah. Yeah, I thought you were joking when you said that. Nope. Yeah, that's actually really sad, isn't it? Because it is. I think it when, does Because when it did work, it was lovely. And you could sit out on a summer's evening on the deck and just sort of have a glass of wine and just think, oh, this is nice. And one of my favourite gardens I saw at Chelsea, and I've posted some pictures of it on um, yeah. Instagram, put it on the feed... Um, was a garden that had a water feature, but it ran alongside a path. A path wound through the garden, taking mm. you from front to back. And alongside the path, it just had a shallow channel with water running it, obviously the levels being that it ran continuously. Very yeah. simple system, pump from one end and then loop back round. Because it was Chelsea, of course, that channel was perfectly pristine of course it was. and clear and lovely. And it was done in a you know fabulous, I think, a popping ceramic tile. Ooh. So not only did you notice the colour, you then saw the water... And I was really inspired and came back and said, right, that's it. This is exactly what I want in my garden. And Duncan just said to me, no way. It will go green at the edges, which he was right in saying. It, detritus will fall into it and you will constantly be having to clear Random. that out. It's, it's basically a gutter. Yes, it's a floor gutter. So interestingly, one of the things that you and I talked about visiting um, in preparation for this um, podcast was the uh, tiny river at Moor London near the GLA building. Yes. Which they filled in. 
And London is full of these rivers. You were telling no, me. No, 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 no. So, so, no. So, so at the GLA, in the paving stone, they yes. had effectively that little gutter. Oh, yes. They filled it in. Why? Health and safety. Because people were standing in it. People were tripping over it because they were looking at their phones, apparently. I've that's, never seen that happen. That's such a pity. It is a pity. And I think that that's one of the conversations about kind of health and safety and design and how do you manage risk in public space. Yeah. And when you think about it, I'm actually surprised that it was it was allowed. Which is sad because you kind of think, well, actually, risk exists in places. And frankly, I'm more likely to get hit crossing the street. Do mm. a higher level one, almost a balustrade level. So oh, maybe. that could work. I've seen that in a city. I will I'll post some information. I can't remember where it was in France. And it ran a long length and it was higher up. Mm. But it leaked. It leaked absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Not easy to do. Um, I, I'm still an advocate. I'm still an advocate. Look, of I'm a in the huge garden. advocate of water in the garden. I just haven't figured out a way to do it that doesn't. No, and I think this summer we could have some interesting times in our bikinis, thinking about leeches in my pond. Yeah. <laughs> or back to the medieval times and everyone going from house to house. Amazing. Leeches, new form of medicine. Amazing. There we go. Don't need to worry about inoculation. But we did do some designing together related to water. We did. We did. We... On a particularly rainy day. It was drizzly. It was. My hair was just uh, the blonde afro that it is whenever it rains. And we went to the Thames. We did. We went to the Thames next to the Houses of Parliament. Um, and we had a look at the Thames. The tide was in. It was. One of the things I'm obsessed about with the, Tim, with the Thames is the way that they did the embankment. I... So yes. in... In Paris, when you walk along the Seine, it has a lower embankment, mm. and you can walk right by yes. the river. Whereas in London, you could you throw just, yourself in you, almost. Yeah, yeah. you definitely could. Whereas in London, you are quite far mm. away, and yes. I understand the reasons for it. Um, you know, London is a highly tidal river. It would be more difficult to do a lower embankment. Also, um, before the Thames barrier, you really did have some mm. questions about flooding, and the and the embankment was put in obviously in the nineteenth century, and the Thames barrier wasn't until the twentieth late 20th at that yes, uh, yeah. if not the 20 if not the early 2000s no no i think it was i think it might have been the 80s or oh the right 90s. okay fine anyway yeah. late, huge, late engineering 20th, project, huge engineering project yeah. um so yeah so i i do i do like walking around the river i do but because the embankment is so high london always feels slightly disconnected from her river i agree and i think often you only experience the river when you get higher up and you're looking down onto it and you think oh there's a river it. it's so big and brown it's huge um and I love the, the little synchronicity of what we've been talking about because your poem that you read by the wonderful woman who was experiencing London during the war... Virginia Graham. There were people during the war, when the Blitz was going on, yeah. um, the Luftwaffe, of course they were targeting certain factories and places, they wanted to damage the embankment because they knew it would flood parts <gasps> of London. And there were response teams who, when the Blitz was going on, they were patrolling <sighs> up and down the embankment... And they were putting sandbags in. They were blocking up and immediately responding to damage. Oh. How selfless is that? I mean, it, obviously, it was about stopping flooding. But overall, I mean... Oh. I know. And so we were in this, in this lovely park, and we both noticed two things. The water, water fountains. The water fountains. There is... When you go in... What is that park? It's called Parliament Green. West, Westminster Garden, something, yeah, like, something that. like that. But it's got this, like... Albert Memorial level esque esque pagoda pavilion yeah. 
It is a pavilion. Pavilion with these amazing tiles along the roof. The and most coloured, ornate. Completely crazy. I mean, you know. Spon- I think it might have been sponsored by Stoke on Trent because, or, you know, the kind of ceramic work. Lord Leighton would have felt it. Oh, hell. hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and, it ha- and it's all around it are these lion headed fountains where you could go and get public water. It's really, and, and the kind of history of sort of urban design and urban planning is very tied into public water fountains, public water access. Facilities. And facilities and public health. So um, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but Jon Snow discovering the cholera mm-hmm. epidemic, all linking to these particular fountains. Yes. Into, water in, sources or exactly. water pumps where people the were getting The water pumps, exactly. And yeah. so, so the cholera was infecting the water sources mm-hmm. and that's why we have urban planning, effectively. Um, so yeah, so there was this completely crazy pavilion to Huge. water, which is dry, completely dry. Completely dry. It just had a few cigarette ends and some yeah. leaves in. Yeah, sadly. And then as we approached the end of the park towards Lambeth Bridge, we saw another very small water fountain. Two, this well, there was time. two. There was one yeah, on each side. Yeah, side. Um, fenced off now. Yeah. So you can't access it at all. I mean, again, and we again, dried out. And next to it, a little coffee shop. A little hut. A pagoda. Yeah, or a pavilion, if you will. But this time, no this... longer offering free water. No, very expensive bottled fizzy water. Mm. And I've got a little picture which I think articulate, articulates exactly that, that, the availability yeah. of water then and now. <laughs> and I guess the thing is, like, London is a city that is literally built on water. Mm. Uh, my friend Tom Bolton uh, wrote this amazing book called London's Lost Rivers. And he basically walks the, um, walks the length of all of the lost rivers of London. So very famously, like, the Fleet River is buried mm. under Fleet Street. And so London is, is, is awash with water, but you can't see most of it. Um, and it's all kind of trickling down into the Thames eventually. And you just, I, and it was all kind of covered over during the during the Victorian period, basically. Yes, and I, I told you the story of living um, in Brook Green, as I yeah. do. And I actually don't think this is the Brook of Brook Green. But the I, Brook I, of Brook Green. I, I like to say that it is. <laughs> when I tell this story to people, oh, well, you know where Brook Green got its name, don't you? Yeah. Um, but the line between uh, myself and Holland Park, aside from it being ten times the price <laughs> on, the other, on the other side of this, there was a stream, a brook, and the Victorians tried to make it into a canal, mm. which... What I love about the story that I read, they unsuccessfully made it into a canal. <laughs> I never knew the Victorians unsuccessfully did anything. No. Anyway, when the canal didn't work, they just made it into a train line, which is now the overground train line oh, that runs from Kensington Olympia up to Shepherd's Bush and on. So my house is just south of the... is like three, three houses down from the New River. Mm. And the New River is effectively a canal. Yeah. A tiny canal which runs... Um, like up through the Lee Valley mm. and channels the watercourse and it predates the neighborhood that was built. So the river predates that and alongside the river is a thing called the Herringay Passage, which is yes. the longest alleyway in Europe. And the alleyway predates the neighborhood. So you can imagine this completely bizarre situation where you've got a field with like a river. Yes. And a and and a, and a like a it's not even an alleyway, it's a path at that yeah, point. It's a path. But because of, um, oh, I can't remember now, but basically they had to have like places for steam to come out or something. And so um, so they had to build the houses around, on either side yes. of the passage as opposed to actually building over it. Oh, well, there you go. And that's how design affects your everyday life. It, You've got all these like random, wonderful stories that are literally just hidden. If only you turned left and the passages to the left of my house. 
that's it. I don't. I think we might have peaked. Perfect circularity. And this is why we're going to have to have July off doing our podcast <laughs> because we can't better this. I mean, it's going to take us at least two months to work out how to top turning left. Yeah. Also, I don't know the logistics of using electronic equipment to record while being in the fountain. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll work it out. For yeah. you, dear listener, anything. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we are going to take a little bit of a break over the summer. Um, we will record a special for you, but it won't be one of our regular monthly ones. We're going to tell the story of um, a little bit about who we are. To celebrate our one-year anniversary of podcasting. We will accept cakes in the form <laughs> of Madeira cake on a Thursday. <laughs> Just... So if you like what you're listening to, please do rate us wherever your podcasting yes. needs are being met. And please subscribe because we found out that that is something that's quite important. It helps um, lift us up in the charts. Absolutely. And it helps you know when you're going to have more informative water and other design-based chats. Indeed. Um, so until then, uh, I have been Rachel Fisher. And I've been Abigail Hall. And, and this has been Everyday, Everyday Design. Everyday Design.